Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Wonderful to worship with all of you, whether you're joining us online, uh, South Campus, West Campus, Hive, Converge. Uh, so glad that you're here to worship. And before we jump into uh, all things in the text that we're going to look at today, uh, I know it might be a little too early to say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year, uh, but it's not too early to begin to think about Christmas and New Year. So we're going to do some Christ Chapel uh, home business here, some family business. Very quickly, I want to point out some things to you. So first thing is, all of you should have received an end-of-year giving envelope that was stuffed into your sermon notes. And I want to explain uh, what this is. Many of you ask if we have end-of-year needs at the end of every year, and uh, we want to make you aware of some things. And this year, specifically, we want to make you aware of some unforeseen opportunities. There are things that that we uh, did not see God doing that we budgeted for. And so these are outside of the budget things that we would love for help with. And I just want to talk about some of these unforeseen opportunities to help us meet the vision of being, making, and reaching. And so uh, specifically with B is an opportunity to teach God's word here and abroad. Uh, we need to expand and adjust some of the current facilities that we have specifically to continue to raise up students and children the next generation for the gospel, uh, explore more potential Christ Chapel multi-sites and support international church planning, uh, make is an opportunity to shape future leaders. Again, that is with specifically our children, students, but also young adults. Uh, you're going to hear more about this in the future. Uh, and then reach an opportunity to care for those in need here and abroad. Obviously, an unforeseen opportunity when you talk about disasters like Hurricane Inn or the war in uh, the Ukraine uh, or uh, the famine in Kenya. So these are all unforeseen opportunities. Now, here's what we're asking you to do. All I ask that you do is you take this home and you pray. Just pray, God, would you like me to participate in this? And, and just obey, what, however he leads. Uh, this is specifically for the Christ Chapel family. If you're a guest, don't expect you to participate. But you're going to be hearing more about these specific opportunities, but want you to know uh, about these end-of-year opportunities. I know some of you like to bring these things back on Christmas Eve, so let's talk about Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have 16, yes, 16 worship experiences uh, across all of our different campuses, and we are excited to uh, worship with you and all of your friends and family who might join you. Remember, at the beginning of this year, we asked you to pray for two people that you might be able to have a spiritual conversation with. Those two people would be great people to invite to our Christmas Eve because they have 16 opportunities to come to a worship service on Saturday, December 24th. And reservation reminders will be available coming up the first weekend in December. Now, because we will have 16 worship services on Christmas Eve Saturday, on Christmas Day, which is a Sunday, we want to go home with you for Christmas. That's right. We want to go home with you for Christmas. Uh, what we are going to do that day, rather than meeting in person, is we are creating a unique worship experience for you because we know that you have places to go and people to see and many different activities. So we will not be gathering in person at our different campuses, but instead we are creating a contemporary worship experience and a traditional worship experience for you to partake in, but more importantly, for you to share. 
This is an opportunity for us to reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus and who would not come into the walls of our church on Christmas Day. But we're making a very special website that will engage them on Christmas Day. So you'll not only get an opportunity to worship, but you'll get an opportunity to share that engaging experience, which I'm pretty excited about. We've done a lot of work on it already, and we'll continue to do that. So that is Christmas Day. A Christmas Day is Christ Chapel goes home with you that day. Okay, so pray about how you might participate in end-of-year giving. Also, plan to join us on that Christmas Eve. Those reservation reminders will be available first week in December. And plan to uh, share that Christmas Day uh, video and website uh, with one person. So that's all things end of year. Now we've talked about a season to come. I want to go back to a season that has passed, and that is the baseball season. Now, I know many of you weren't invested in that season because if you're a fan of the local team, your season was over a long time ago, and, and that's okay. But if you know anything about baseball, honestly, you don't even really have to know anything about baseball, and you know the phrase, three strikes and you're out. You, you know that. That's where a batter gets up and they get, they get an opportunity, they get a limited amount of chances to be able to put the ball in play. And strikes can accumulate in various ways. You know, the first one is you just swing and absolutely completely miss the ball. Another way is you get a foul tip, that you get a piece of the ball, but it doesn't go into the fair territory, it goes into foul territory. And then the third way that you get a strike is you just stand and look. And it comes right down the pipe and you don't swing and you stand looking and that is a, a strike. So no matter how you accumulate your strikes, we all know it's three strikes and you're out. Very good. And we apply this concept of limited chances in our everyday world. It doesn't matter if you're at work, at school, in a relationship. You always get a limited amount of chances. If you're in work and you got chances and you, uh, to, on a project or something and you didn't fulfill that project, you get taken off the project. You're, you're off that project. If you're in school and you, you don't behave, you have a limited amount of chances or you're expelled from school. If you're in a relationship and, and something happens there and you disappoint them or fail them or betray them or something, you only get a limited amount of chances and then they say they cut you off from the relationship. Now, I'm not saying that uh, those things aren't sometimes wise, whether it's a project or school or uh, an unhealthy relationship in a sense, uh, but we all understand this idea of limited amount of chances, and when our chances run out, so are we. That applies in so many areas of our lives, but here's my question. Does that apply to our spiritual lives? Does that apply to your spiritual life? That you only get a limited amount of chances before you're out. Because if that is the case, then I, Cody McQueen, have struck out multiple times. Because in our spiritual lives, the same way that you get strikes in the baseball game is the same way you get strikes in spiritual life, in a sense. I mean, there are times when I completely swing and miss for Jesus. I, I don't connect at all. There are times when I halfway obey, where I kind of obey, but I don't fully obey, 
and it tips it off into foul territory. And then there are times when I absolutely watch God put one right down the pipe, and a great opportunity to make him known and to glorify him, and I stand and watch and let that opportunity pass by. I, I accumulate spiritual strikes all the time. And if the same concept that we know from baseball, three strikes and you're out, applies to our spiritual lives, then I am a spiritual strikeout. I should walk back to the bench dejected, to leave the field, never to come back to the batter's box again. But again, I come back to the question, does that concept apply to our spiritual lives? Are there such things as spiritual strikeouts? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna start in verses 30 to 35, and then we're gonna go to another section. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles, no matter what venue you're in, it's page 832, 832. We're obviously continuing our series, Do You Hear What I Hear?, where we're trying to get in tune, in sync with God's frequency. And remember, the goal of this series is that you would be the plate, be the Cladney plate in that video that we talked about that bends and bows to take on God's shape so that we display his glory in our everyday lives. We don't want you to be the wine glass, the wine glass that can't uh, sustain that resonant frequency and shatters because we will not change, we will not be moved, we will not be molded by what God is doing in our lives and what we hear from him. And last week we saw a great example of a woman who was totally in sync with what God was doing, who, who, who bended and bowed to him to anoint him. She was a great example of being that plate to display his glory. Today, we're going to see the exact opposite, the exact opposite of somebody who, who wasn't in sync with what God was doing. And in a sense, he is the greatest spiritual strikeout in Scripture. And this is Peter who I'm talking about. And what makes this, this part of Scripture, this portion of Scripture, so wonderful is even though he is the greatest spiritual strikeout that we know, he's so relatable so relatable to you and to me. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at Peter's opportunity as Peter steps into the batter's box and he gets some pitches that are right down the pipe. And we're gonna see what happens to him. And we're gonna see how he swings and honestly, he misses, because I've already, spoiler alert, he strikes out. Uh, we're going to look at him as a spiritual strikeout, but what I want to do is I want to give you some applications uh, so that you can uh, step back in the batter's box if you've gone back to the bench thinking that you don't belong on the field. Get back up and keep swinging for Jesus. So let me give you some context about what's going on here as far as what leads us to what we're going to read in just a moment. Uh, if you'll remember, we're, we're towards the end of Jesus' life, 
And Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. We now call that the Last Supper, the Last Supper with his disciples. But it was the the normal Passover meal that they would have celebrated. And this celebration, uh, as we know, especially as it's expounded on in the Gospel of John, uh, was a very personal time with Jesus and his disciples. Not only did they share a meal, which we know that sharing a meal with somebody is a very personal thing. You're about to share a meal with friends and family over Thanksgiving. That's personal. Uh, So he has this very personal time with them in sharing the meal, but also they would have sang songs together, a very unifying thing. And we also know he washed their feet. I mean, this is a very intimate, personal time with Jesus and his disciples. It It was a great moment for them. But all of a sudden, it turns into a bummer of a moment. And it turns into a bummer of a moment because towards the end of the meal, Jesus says, hey, one of you in here, the the closest 12 disciples that I have, one of you is going to betray me. We all know that that was Jesus, uh, Judas, (laughs) it was Jesus, it wasn't Jesus, Judas, sorry. You already thought I was heretical, okay. Uh, No, Judas. Judas is going to betray Jesus and Judas leaves But Judas isn't the only one who's going to betray Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 26. So follow along with me. It says that when they had sung a hymn, this was part of the Passover meal, uh, would have come from part of the Psalms. Uh, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, listen, Judas isn't the only one who's going to fall away and betray me. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die, die with you. I will not deny you. And then all the disciples didn't want to be one-upped, and they joined in, and all the disciples said the same. See, I can only imagine that in that Passover meal, as Jesus says, one of you here is going to betray me, and it's the one who dips, and he gives the, the cup, and, he dip, and it's Judas there, uh, that they all go, Shoo! you know, they, it's not me, good, And then he takes them out to the Mount of Olives and goes, no, it's actually all you. All of you will betray me. All of you will fall away uh, from me. And he says that the shepherd will be struck and all the sheep will scatter, which is a prophecy in Zechariah. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet. And so he says, all of you are going to fall away. And you can imagine from that very personal, intimate time that, that they just had with Jesus, how hurtful this is to hear. Can you imagine I mean, there's nothing cl- closer. We've talked about this before. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed, but it's a very humbling thing, very humbling thing, very, connecting you with that person. And they're connected with Jesus in this way, and he says, you're going to betray me. I imagine that they're hurt, and not only hurt, I think they're offended. How can you say that, Jesus? We, we would never do that. 
How can you predict my behavior in the future that I'm going to fall away? So I think they're hurt and offended. I've tried to think about what a correlation would be to being told that and hearing that. And the best that I can come up with is imagine if on your wedding day, you've just had this wonderful ceremony with your spouse, and you've had this wonderful reception where you ate a meal together and all of these warm fuzzies and personal commitments to one another, and as you're about to drive off to go to your, your honeymoon, your spouse turns to you and says, you're going to disappoint me. You're, you're, you're going to fail me. You're, you're going to fall away. You're going to betray me, what, whatever that word is. How would you respond in that moment? You, it, it doesn't matter what. You are going to say, no, I won't. Of course I won't. Why would I do that? I'm hurt that you would say that about me, that you would think so little of me. Of course I love you. Of course I've I've just committed my life to you. And that's what Peter is doing here. That's why Peter steps up. Of course I wouldn't do that to you, Jesus. Maybe all of those bozos, but not me. I'm not going to do that to you. And he doubles down. Peter says, I will be the exception to the rule. I will be the lone ranger. What you say does not apply to me. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, which could have been the actual morning time where the rooster crows or cock crow was also a term that was used for 3 a.m., the changing of a Roman guard. So it could have been 3 a.m. or early morning. But regardless, it was that night, Peter, you're not only going to deny me and fall away, you're going to do it three times. Here's what I take away from that passage for you and for me, is that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, Peter thought he had the fortitude. Peter thought he had the strength. Peter thought that he knew that he could do this. He was overconfident in himself. But let me tell you, there were two things that he didn't know. First, he didn't know himself very well. And two, he didn't know the circumstances that were coming up. But Jesus did. Jesus knew the circumstances, and Jesus also knew Peter. He, he knew his weak points. He knew his frailties. He knew how he would disappoint him in a sense. Now, you might say, well, Cody, it it is foolish for Peter to even say that. I wouldn't have even said that. I wouldn't have said, no, Jesus, I won't. I'll die for you. You go, I wouldn't step out there. Well, hold on. Let's go back to the wedding analogy. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Because you would want to do exactly what Peter aspired to do. You would want to say the same things that Jesus, of course, I I would even die for you. You would want to say that. Why? Because your loyalty is equal to your love. 
And when you love somebody, of, of course you want to pledge that loyalty to them. And I have no doubt that Peter loved Jesus. I have no doubt that he aspired to go even to, to die with him so that he wouldn't deny him. No doubt about his intentions. But intentions and aspirations are not the best guardrails. They're not the best guides. So here's my application for all of us. We need to base our belief and behavior on what God says rather than what we think or we feel. Base your belief and behavior on what God says rather than what you think or what you feel. See, Peter brushed aside Jesus' words because he thought he knew better. And I wonder how this account would have gone differently if Peter would have gone, whoa, me? And, and really took it to heart that you're saying that about me? But instead of believing what Jesus said about him, he said, no, I know better, and I'm feeling the highs of having this great time with you. Never, never will I fall away with you. From you, And we've all said that I've, I would never. Doesn't matter what circumstance you, you've been in. We've all said an I would never, and we've all gone back on it. In small ways and sometimes in large ways. Which tells me that we don't always know ourselves very well. Let me tell you, my friend, that pride comes before the fall. And we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Both scriptural. We have to humble ourselves and go, God, if you're saying this, then help me adjust. Because I don't, I don't want to deny you. I don't want to fall away, away from you. I don't want to fall into temptation. I don't, I don't want to do that. Rather than thinking, I can handle this temptation I can handle that challenge. I can handle that trial. I'm good. I've got enough strength. I've got enough verses memorized. I've got enough of, of whatever you think you might have with your own self-sufficiency. Let me tell you, it's not always enough because not only does Jesus know us better than we know ourselves, Jesus knows that our private commitments will be challenged in public. Jesus knows our private commitments will be challenged in public. Peter makes that statement about how he will never deny Jesus in, the, in that very small group. But now that private commitment is going to be on trial in public. Look at verses 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. This is a courtyard of the high priest where, he, where Jesus was put on trial. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said uh, to the bystanders, uh, I think this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. Now he makes a promise. I do not know the man. 
And after a while, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you, your Galilean accent. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This is a hard passage to study, a hard passage to preach, so bear with me as we talk through this. I told you he's very relatable. So Jesus is on trial and uh, Peter follows, and we know that Peter, from the synoptic accounts, I'm going to start giving you some uh, synoptic details that come from different gospels, we, just to round out the story here. But we know that Jesus, uh, Peter is following Jesus from a distance, and he follows him into this courtyard, and he warms himself, it says, by a charcoal fire. And that this charcoal fire, you can imagine it's dark at night, but at the charcoal fire, your face is lit up. People can see your face by that fire. And a servant girl comes and she says, hey, I think you've been with Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss the irony here of how wonderful of a Savior that we have. Because yards away, Jesus is on trial. And Jesus is being accused of all things falsely, and he denies none of them. Peter, he is accused of all things true and denies all of them. There's a contrast going on here with Jesus and Peter. And Peter, when he is accused of these things, buckles and breaks and caves. And he denies that he ever knew the one who just washed his feet. The one who he probably just held hands with to sing those Passover songs. And he says, I never knew him. See, this is where Peter steps into the batter's box and he gets three softballs in a sense. You know him, don't you? And he strikes out. And you go, why? why? Why would he strike out? Well, I want to go through this very quickly. What I call, it's on your sermon notes, the temptation uh, escalation. Uh, because I think this, is, this applies to us in our own lives and how these temptations come and why we are so vulnerable to them. And I'll, I'll correlate this to what Peter just went through. I think Peter fell first be, uh, to the first accusation in a sense of you know Jesus or were with Jesus because the first one was unexpected. Sometimes it's the unexpected temptations that catch us off guard. And one of the reasons why I say that is because remember when Peter is expecting the guard to come and betray Jesus and, and arrest him, what does Peter do? He is ready for a fight and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. So he's ready to fight when he sees that fight coming. When he doesn't see the fight coming, though, that's when he's caught off guard. 
And I think that's very relatable for all of us. Sometimes it's the unexpected temptations that cause us to fall because unexpected temptations solicit reactions. And when we react, we react out of fear. We, we react from a place that's not great. We, our reactions come from the reservoir of our hearts. And sometimes the, re, the, the reactions aren't always what we want them to be. And that's why we've got to make sure that our reservoirs are full of what is of God, of Scripture, of His Spirit, of walk, keeping in step with His Spirit so that these don't cause us to stumble. But then it escalates, as you can tell, because the first one was just an unexpected servant girl who, who had no power to do anything to Peter. And then the second one is repeated. The second girl comes up, and you can see as, as this escalates, uh, not only does, do Peter's denials escalate, but the crowd builds too, because now the servant girl says to bystanders, Hey, I think he was with Jesus. This is a repeated uh, temptation to deny Jesus. And what I think we've got to always be aware of is when temptation comes once, expect the one-two punch. There's usually a one-two punch. You go, yes, I got past that one. Yes, beware. There's There's another one coming that you have to be careful of. And I also wanna say this, because I've, I've heard this before. Uh, just because temptations are repeated, do not see them as opportunities or approval from God to sin. Just because it's a repeated temptation does not mean that you go, oh, God must be okay with this. No. That's not of God. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait of repeated temptations. It doesn't mean that it's okay just because the opportunity shows up again. And then the final escalation is this unrelenting. This unrelenting. Now the bystanders that were probably told by the servant girl that this man had been with Jesus. Now all the bystanders come, so you can see the crowd grows. And now Peter even calls down a curse on himself of basically let me be uh, hurt if this is untrue. The first, the second one was a promise that he made, a promise that's not true. First one was he, he was just evasive. And the unrelenting temptations, uh, sometimes those exist in our lives. And if you experience an unrelenting temptation. What I want to remind you of, just write this down, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Because what Paul tells us and tells the church in Corinth is that with the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape. But he says, so that you may be able to endure it. God provides relief from temptation, sometimes through escape and sometimes through endurance. One, one of those two, two ways. And if you're tempted to sin, first, look for the escape. He, he does not want you to fall to temptation. It's not, that's not of him. He's not the one putting that temptation there in front of you. He's trying to uh, keep you from sin by the power of his spirit. And so here's my application for us, especially if you're facing this temptation escalation. 
but all of us. Stay close to your shepherd who can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Stay close to your shepherd who can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. No doubt Peter was in the valley of the shadow of death as they are looking to kill the shepherd. But remember Psalm 23 verse 4, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He has a, he has a guiding, the staff guides, the rod protects. He is protecting and guiding even through the valley of the shadow of death. So stay close to the shepherd because that's what, remember that's the prophecy. Zechariah chapter 13 is that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. If we want to make it through the valley of the shadow of death, stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to him, especially if you're facing these unrelenting temptations. But this story has a good ending. Peter's story doesn't end in the valley of the shadow of death. And I want to take you to John chapter 21, and you don't have to turn there, but you're welcome to if you'd like. But in John chapter 21, I want to tell you what happens. Because after this, it says Peter wept bitterly. Remember? Peter wept bitterly. He was that, that wine glass that broke, and it broke him. He wasn't willing to, to trust what Jesus said about him more than he felt or, or thought about himself. And he breaks and he weeps bitterly. And I imagine that after that strikeout, he goes off the field of ministry. Because in John 21, we find him fishing, which is what Peter was. He was a fisherman. And he's fishing again, but ironically, he's not catching any fish. And Jesus is on the shore, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? Which I know is a super annoying question to Peter. <laughs> Peter says no. He says, cast it uh, on the right side, catches 153 fish. They realize it's Jesus. And Peter goes to the shore. And it's an incredible scene when you, when you think about Think about all the stuff we just studied. So Jesus is on the shore, and he's created a meal. Remember what they just came from, what we just talked about? Just came from the Passover meal and what we just studied. Now he's created another meal where he is cooking fish. He already had fish. He didn't have to go fishing. He already has these fish, and he's cooking these fish, and he's not cooking it with driftwood over a driftwood fire. He's, he's cooking this on a charcoal fire, the exact same kind of fire. The gospel writers are very specific as to what kind of fire this is. Same kind of fire that was in the courtyard that Peter denied Jesus in. And he's cooking this over this charcoal fire. And they get to share a meal together. And then Jesus, instead of throwing these fastballs at him of, why did you? He gives him softballs. He says, do you love me? <laughs> what an easy question to answer. Do you love me? Do you love me? He gives it three times. And Peter gets to knock him out of the park. Of course I do. Of course I do. Of course I do. And that begins Peter's reinstatement. Back not only into ministry, but into a relationship with Jesus one that he didn't think was possible. Because who would want a spiritual strikeout on their team? Nobody. 
Let me ask, do you hear what I hear? Because here's what I hear, is that with Jesus, it's not three strikes and you're out. It's not three strikes and you're out. That you get an opportunity. There aren't limited opportunities to know Jesus. There aren't limited opportunities to serve Jesus. Yeah, we've all swung and we've missed. Yeah, we've all halfway obeyed. Yeah, we've all watched opportunities go by. And Jesus says, and I still love you. See, the wonderful thing is you are fully known and still fully loved, forgiven, and accepted by Christ. He knows that you would fail. He knew that when he went to the cross for you and for me. He knew I would fail. He knew I would miss. He knew I would disobey. And yet, knowing me fully, all of my frailties, all of my weaknesses, all of my failures to come, still went to the cross to die for me and to rise again so that I could be fully forgiven in him. And the same is true for you. What an incredible relationship that you can be fully known and not only the good stuff, fully known and still fully loved, fully accepted, fully forgiven by Christ. You know, so often Peter gets a bad rap throughout Scripture. I gave him the bad rap at the beginning of the sermon. But I want to lift him up for just a second. Because how do we know this story? How do, we, how do we know that conversation? How do we know from, from Luke that when Peter denied Jesus, that Jesus looked at him? How do we know that? There's only one way we know that, and it's that Peter shared his story. Peter told other people he failed. Why does he do that? Because I think he knew that there would be spiritual strikeouts to come after him, like me, and that we needed to see a real-life story of how Jesus treats spiritual strikeouts. Because spiritually speaking, in Jesus' eyes, there is no such thing as a spiritual strikeout. Let me pray for us. God, you are so, so good to know us, to accept us, to forgive us, to love us, and to keep pushing us back into that batter's box and to keep saying, it's okay, I've got you. I knew this and I still love you and I've still given you my spirit so that you can walk with me, still giving you my spirit so that you can speak much of me. Lord, what you do is only you can do. The same thing that you did in Peter's life, would you turn our strikeouts into your home runs for your sake and your glory? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.